Hello, and welcome back to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Hold on to your hats and muster up on deck, folks, because today we're diving deep into the world of industrial maintenance with a sailor who's seen it all. Straight from the waters of the Navy to the bustling grounds of North Carolina's industrial scene, he's been a force to be reckoned with. From the shores of Cary, North Carolina, working for the beacon of technological advancement, Brightly, formerly known as Dude Solutions, and now proudly a Siemens company, this man is not just any solutions consultant. He's a product SME, an eloquent speaker on CMMS, EAM, IoT, and energy solutions, and the brains behind the award-winning hackathon project of 2022. Need the perfect mix of tech savvy and industrial maintenance expertise? Corey Dickens is your guy. But that's not all. Corey's time in the Navy saw him climbing ranks, taking charge as a leading petty officer, guiding and mentoring vast teams, planning and executing massive training events, and being the point person for armory and maintenance. His leadership skills are second to none. But Corey's expertise isn't limited to the waters and tech world. He's led maintenance at Spanset Inc., collaborated with manufacturing engineers, and even brought his vigor to the world of CrossFit as a coach. Remember the name Corey Dickens, for he's a jack of all trades and perhaps, contrary to his own humble claim, a master of many. So without further ado, let's welcome the salty sailor, seasoned wrench turner, the tech guru and fitness enthusiast, Corey Dickens, to share his explosive tales and insights. Hello, Corey. Welcome to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Hope you're having a wonderful day. Thank you, Jim. I, I'm having a great day, especially after that pump up right there. That was a great <laughs> intro. <laughs> I, I, I really, I, I think I missed my calling. I think I just need to be a hype man for the manufacturing industry and just travel the country and pump people up at events. What do you think? I, I think I need the transcript from this and I'm going to use that as my bio anywhere and everywhere I go for the rest <laughs> of my life. Like that was like everyone you do. I was like, Oh man, he's hyping this up. Actually, I'm starting to think. So your voice very familiar to me from Sean Evans, the host of the Hot Ones podcast, the the show podcast, whatever, where they have celebrities come on and they like progressively go up in uh, like hotness of hot wings, right? Oh. They ask a bunch of questions. It's a really, it's a fun one. If you like some of these people, your voice sounds very similar to the host of that, Sean Evans. You just have obviously a lot more facial hair and head hair. <laughs> um, but I think the enthusiasm of it too reminds me a little bit of Bruce Buffer too. Okay. I'll take it. I will absolutely right there. Thank you very much. I may download that and make it my ringtone or something. Uh, So I appreciate that. Thank you. So Corey, let's dive right into it. Um, Tell us a little bit about Brightly. Uh, What do you guys do at Brightly? How big is the organization? Give us kind of the background on the organization as a whole. I can do that. I can do that mostly. Um, I've only been with the organization two years now, but Growing up, I was never really great at math, never really great at science, especially not English, right? History was always just like a natural calling for me. I don't know why I can remember dates and times and timelines and blah, 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 right? Um, So being a part of an organization that I really enjoy being a part of, uh, we have a a pretty good history and I've learned a lot about that. So Brightly, as you mentioned, is now a Siemens company. Uh, I think we're celebrating one year of that acquisition now. Um, 
so Brightly used to be known as Dude Solutions. And prior to Dude Solutions, the company started in 1999 as the first cloud-based CMMS for school operations known as School Dude. Um, so that that company changed from School Dude, Facility Dude. They came together, Dude Solutions, um, made a lot of acquisitions, uh, changed hands through two different private equity firms. And then right before the PE bubble kind of burst last year, we got strategically acquired by the Siemens, right? So think wow. about going from you're a growing larger software company that just does software. Now you're part of this technology company. Yeah, so it was a, at a great a whole time. suite of technological advancement. It is, they are everywhere. So it fits really well for what Brightly does. Brightly does asset management, strategic asset management, the whole envelope down to energy management solutions, uh, XYZ. So the company now is approaching a thousand people. Um, wow. Through acquisitions, we grew from solely North American based to a company in the UK. We're in Australia. We have a footprint in India as well, right? And that's only going to continue to grow with Siemens because Siemens is probably in every country in the world. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. So being there for two years, what's been your cultural journey there? What, what, where was the culture when you started at Brightly? Uh, where is it now and, and where do you see it going? It's a great question. Cause again, I've only been there two years and I was really drawn there one for a career change. Um, I, after coming off my last deployment with the Navy during COVID, um, it was time to go back to actual work and be a big boy again. So <laughs> I was looking for a job and I fell back on some of my strengths, which is doing this maintenance leadership. So I ended up at Spanset. I was there for a short time, but a good time, right? I had a lot of fun. There's a fantastic people there. Culturally, I just don't think it was a great fit, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. I recognized it. There were some other external factors happening, not just Spanset related. Um, my wife and I, during that time, right before real estate got real crazy, we moved from my small town of Sanford, North Carolina, to where my wife grew up in Durham, North Carolina, which is got about it. an hour away. Okay. So now I'm traveling an hour each way every single day. Um, I'm starting a family. We were expecting our firstborn. So there are just a lot of little things that started to pile on, right? Yep. Um, culturally, brightly, I was drawn to it, first of all, for my skill set, because I implemented one of Brightly's products at my manufacturing facility, our computerized maintenance management system. Sure. It was going to help me keep track of my preventive maintenance routines, track my inventory, better cost, and better reporting, right? So I can yep. implement uh, my own form of continuous improvement, and I need data to inform me of that. So doing things old school, it was kind of a mom and pop shop. Spanset, that footprint is about 50 employees total, so really small, right? Been around for 40 years. There are some people who had been there for 40 years, and there were some this kind of new guard coming in too. So I was one of the younger ones and the new guard coming in with these bright ideas, right? And there was some clash there. And I didn't know a lot about uh, cultural change, cultural evolution. I was learning a lot of this as I went along. So I was looking for an out, looking for a career change. What drew me to Brightly, Dude Solutions at the time, was the social media culture that was on display. Right. You get on LinkedIn, you look, I think around the time they were having Dude University, which is our annual user conference. Okay. And at the last day of Dude U, all clients who are there, we do like this ring of honor. So all employees of Brightly get together 
on both sides and we clap it up and we thank our clients for what they do for us, right? Because at the end of the day, it's clients first. Yep. So they get to walk through and experience that that um, gratitude from us as employees, right? After a week of engagement and helping them and consulting and educational sessions, then we get to appreciate our clients. So I saw Sounds that. like an I'm, awesome event. Right, exactly. And our event team does fantastic. Amanda, she's awesome. And I saw that. I saw the appreciation. I saw people always wearing Dude Solutions t-shirts. Um, they were doing volunteer. They were doing this, doing that, right? And it was a career change for me. So that's what drew me in. The culture has continued to get better since I've been here. Right. Wow. We brought on some new leadership. And our new saying is we want to make a great place to work. Okay. And we, we do like a lot of, they receive a lot of feedback, right? Some of those feedback that they get, it takes some time to implement. So I'm not naive to the fact that change takes some time, right? From military. Yeah. Every time a military commander changes over command of a unit, like on a ship, every time a new commanding officer comes, which is between 18 and 24 months, they do a, a command climate survey. And they receive feedback from all ranks and they break it into groups and they try to prioritize what they should fix. What do you think is number one on every single feedback of every organization in the world? Probably say communication, communication okay. from leadership, right? It's sure. always an issue, especially the bigger organization you are, the more levels of bureaucracy, the more like ability there is for filters to catch things, right? Sure. And information that not to completely flow. But Brightly does a great job of it. My direct supervisor, Jason, I mean, he's one of the best bosses I've ever worked for, right? Not a micromanager. It's very flexible, um, takes the time. And we have weekly one-on-ones. He asked me how I'm doing. What do we want to work on? Sometimes we work on work stuff. Sometimes we work on career. Sometimes we just have a conversation. That's awesome. So where do you see the the culture going to at Brightly um, I, in the future? I mean, you you said that it's evolved and it's it's gotten better over the two years. How, where do you see it going from here? That's a great question. I just hope the communication stays open. They started a lot of newsletters that go out directly from different departments. Um, one thing we get from our product management team is all the different products we have. They get a product manager every, every quarter, record a quarterly priorities video, okay. right? And then they send it out to the whole team. So we kind of keep our finger on the pulse, which is really cool from... Someone that works on a sales team, I don't necessarily call myself sales, but I work on a sales team mm -hmm. and I do all the demonstrations on our product forward facing. So yep. I get a lot of questions like, hey, why don't you do this or when is this going to happen? Right. So I, I kind of need to know the tip of the spear, what's going on, why we do things, why we don't. Yeah. So Absolutely. I hope that continues. Um, culturally, I don't know how much is going to change. I hope it, I hope really hope from Siemens and I've heard this numerous times, they're just going to, they, they're just going to let us do our thing. Okay. Right. They, they acquired us because they thought we were doing something right. Yeah. So they're going to let us continue on that path. They're not coming in saying, Oh, you have a great go to market strategy, but your P and O or your HR sucks. So we're going to come in and we're going to make you a fix or uh, align to the Siemens way of doing things. Right. That may come eventually naturally over time for right now. They're letting us be as casual as we are. Awesome. So it, the Navy is a huge part of your background, your experience, your your life skill sets, et cetera. Um, how did your experience in the Navy, and you're still uh, active reserve, correct? 
Correct. Thank you for your service, uh, current and former. Um, but how has that experience in the Navy really shaped your perspective on culture in this industry? There are so many similarities between the military and manufacturing. It's not even funny. Okay. Tell um, us more. There are a ton of similarities. Um, just look at some of the strategies we use, right? Lean manufacturing, A3, Kaizen, Gimba, whatever it is, right? Um, when I went through and got my yellow belt in Lean Six Sigma, um, the instructor talked a lot about in World War II, when we became this production state back home to make all the equipment and ships needed on the front line for all the war efforts, some of the problems that they came about and then how they addressed it. And some of those have become these those principles like lean was around probably beforehand. Right. But again, just the similarities of how we've, we did things through wartime in that production state. Mm -hmm. Now there are key differences like jargon, what we call things, right? The military loves their acronyms. And so does every <laughs> other business I've ever been a part of. Absolutely. Right? So those acronyms differ. So I always like to say, and this is general for maintenance and this is pretty particular to brightly maintenance differs by degree, not by kind. Okay. Right? If you think of your local government and the utility department who go out, goes out and services the road or the water or whatever, right? Performing maintenance is very similar. It's, it's kind of a science, right? Mm -hmm. Now, how we manage maintenance, that's an art. But whether it's a manufacturing facility, whether it's field assets, whether it is an educational facility or local government, maintenance is pretty universal. Sure. We just got to figure out how to get the language similar. But the military is so key to what I know because it's kind of a sandbox for me. Being a reservist, right? There's only, I have to play the long game at work, mm -hmm. right? I'm not in a, a management position or anything like that at work, but I am very observant of how my bosses communicate to me, how we put out all team uh, messaging or the strategy that we enact to hit our goals. And then I get to take out pieces that I like, ignore pieces I don't like, use those as lesson learned. And I get to go to the reserves and being now in a leadership position of 125 sailors, I get to play. I get to try and put some of these methods in action, see what works, see what do doesn't work, especially for my style of leadership. Wow. I like that. Um, so... Uh, to be completely frank, I mean, I, now that you mentioned the the similarities between the military and, and manufacturing, I, I can definitely see that. Um, both are traditional, right, in their mindsets, um, but both have evolving demands with modern workforce. So how does both the military and manufacturing reconcile that tradition um, with that evolving demands from the workforce in terms of culture. That is a multi, multi-million dollar question. <laughs> Obviously, I don't have the perfect answer for it. No one does, right? Or else right. we wouldn't have all the challenges we do in manufacturing. And if you look at the other side of the coin, they're facing very similar challenges in the military. Are they really? I mean, think of recruitment. Yeah. Right. I mean, think of the population in the US that medically is eligible to serve in the military. It's very mm -hmm. few. 
And then of that percentage, how many don't have a criminal history or this or that or the other? And then what percentage of that, right? We always say we're 1% of 1% actually serves in the military, gets through boot camp, can adapt to a change, et cetera. Look at manufacturing, right? And for peacetime, wartime, right? Different changes. It was kind of sexy to join the military when it was wartime, right? And unfortunately, we had this culture of to be a man, you go to war. Right. Uh, and you talk, you look now on how many veterans and war veterans, and I'm not one myself, but how many war veterans who were in Afghanistan and Iraq come back and say, look, that's not, that's not a man. Right. So, but you look at that and you see what the perception is in that environment. And then you look at manufacturing and Andrew Crowe's talked about it numerous times at three D's, right? Dark, dirty, dangerous. Yep. That's the perception of manufacturing because there's a lack of awareness around what goes in and those walls that you see when you pass by an industrial zone everything we own in our home is made in a manufactured facility everything yeah even process food processing beverage processing uh you go to your local craft brewer i love working with my breweries right that's a non-traditional manufacturing setup yep right now will healy asked a question is craft brewing or brewing industry is that a, a service industry or manufacturing i'd say it's manufacturing but Again, I'm no expert in that, so I'm not going to debate it. I just look at it, and they're making a good f- to sell. Right. Right. Um, so all manufacturers are a little bit different, right? You talk about discrete versus job shop versus this versus that, et cetera. So there, I think there's just a lack of awareness around what manufacturing is. It's just such a broad term that catches so many things. Yeah. That people just start to think of automobile manufacturing, right? They think of the assembly line from the second industrial revolution when Gerald Ford did the mass production line. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what do you think given the, the recruiting issues that the Navy has a skills gap in manufacturing, what do you think are some of the most pressing cultural challenges facing both industries? Are, are they similar or are they unique? I think it's very similar. And again, it's it's going to differ by degree, not by kind, but sure. the kinds of approaches we need to take are very similar. There's both short-term and long-term. Yeah. Number one is if people are leaving an exodus, creating these voids for positions, we need to look at ourselves right now and say, what can we do to keep people? Sure. Nine times out of 10, it's how you're treating people or what yep. you're putting them through, right? And even in a manufacturing setting, you see it very often. I just saw the sign on LinkedIn someone was sharing around of never say it's not my job that oozes arrogance and blah, blah, blah. Right. I heard that manufacturing. I probably said it in manufacturing. I can almost guarantee I did. (laughs) And guess what? I will no longer say that ever again because I have grown and I now know that's very arrogant. Right. That's not being a team player. Right. But that's the culture I was in. And that's why I needed to get out. Yeah. The military is the same way. We have these traditional job roles that we kind of need, kind of don't. I mean, think of the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps is changing large strategy from being a, a land force, if you will, in, a, in Iraq and Afghanistan and using tanks. They have gone under a lot of heat for trying to think strategically, how do they pivot towards an amphibious force, which is what they were built to do in yeah. the Indo-Pacific. Well, the commandant of the Marine Corps, he said, we're going to get rid of our tanks. Okay. We're not going to use them, right? And that caused a lot, that tore at the the fabric of a few cultures, very traditional cultures in the Marine Corps. 
mm-hmm. but it was needed to make progress. So I think manufacturing, we need to look at our jobs and how we do things. And we need to say, can we do it more efficiently? Right. Is there, do we have to do it the same way or is this just status quo? Sure. Right. We also need to look at how we're treating people. That's huge in culture is how you treat people. Yeah. Um, and far too often in the military, especially the Navy, there's a saying ship shipmate self. Okay. And Marine Corps has God country core. And yep. it's like this hierarchy of importance in your life for the priority of who you serve. Right. And in the Navy, I've always had an issue with ship shipmate self because it reinforces to someone that you come last. Right. That's, that's an interesting take for such a storied organization. I think it has its place and you have to think about it. When we think of if a ship gets hit with a missile or projectile, especially below the waterline, right? What's more important, like you getting out of that compartment or you shoring that and saving the rest of the ship. Sure. So in wartime, in certain events, you need to train like you fight and ship shipmate self is a mentality that you need to have. And anyone that's ever done anything in the military would tell you, yeah, that's, that's kind of what has to happen. But in peacetime, when you're sitting at home and people are struggling to find purpose, especially young kids, right? And they're just being dragged through the ringer, right? They'll often deprioritize what they need to do to keep themselves healthy and in tip-top shape to contribute to the mission yeah. because they think whatever else is more important. And the same thing in manufacturing. We think of the end result and production of the products and in that like the whole process and the mechanism as a whole. And what we don't do as managers is look at our people and say, what do you need? Are you okay? Because again, if I'm on a ship, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Yes, I can have some family issues going on, but that's, I don't have to go home to that, right? Mm-hmm. Versus manufacturing, you clock in, you clock out. Right. When I go home, what happens between that and when I come back to clock in, it does affect my performance at work. And my yeah. performance at work could affect the safety of my teammates could shut down a whole facility. I mean, how many times have you seen big catastrophic safety incidences happen, right? There was one a few weeks ago um, of a chemical facility, I think, that blew up. Yep. Now, was that anyone's particular fault? Maybe, maybe not. But could someone have also had a rough night at home? Maybe a fight with their significant other, maybe something going on medically with their children. Yeah. They go to work not in tip tip top shape, and they overlook a simple procedure step that turns into a catastrophic failure. Yeah. Interesting. So let's, let's shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about brightly. Um, because you're very keen on the culture there and, and it sounds like an amazing place, uh, to work. How does brightly ensure that the cultural values that they hold so dear are integrated into the products and solutions that they provide their, their customers and clients. The cultural values. Um, I think, I don't know if we just had a revamp of them, but there were like three pillars or three values we had before. And then now there are like zoom backgrounds that have been passed around to people that say, you know, serve collaboratively X, Y, Z, what all the, I think there's four of them now. And they've kind of made it sexy, right? They, they show it off. There's graphics. People can proudly display that, right? It's not just something on a board in the front office when you walk in that you see or something that's covered during your team meeting. Yeah. Right. That's, that's in one ear out the other. 
just like some safety meetings first thing in the morning, right? Let's talk about safety today. Yeah. Right. But it's, it's not sexy and it just kind of goes in one ear out the other in manufacturing. So making the value statements pertinent to the people, right? So maybe it's soliciting, Hey, mm-hmm. what's important for you? What do you, what do you enjoy about working here? Or what would, if you consumed our product, what would draw you to purchase it from someone, right? So for us, again, it's the the collaboration, togetherness, the service. Um, it's just working together as a team between, okay. between the sales organization, obviously setting the correct expectations and make sure we're educating the prospect. We're giving a good pass off to implementation so that they have some momentum going there. Um, they're doing their job. They're staying on top of it. They're holding people accountable and they're providing the service that we say we're going to provide. Yeah, I get that. Uh, so how, how does that or does the culture, I guess, uh, at brightly impact partnerships, collaborations in, in the industry? I mean, do you guys seek out, uh, external partners and collaborations that fit culturally with, with brightly? Yes. Um, I think that was a huge part, especially of our acquisition strategy. Okay. Right. You you don't want to acquire someone um, that doesn't have a cultural fit. Sure. Right. Even though we're in, if, if we're acquiring someone who geographically is somewhere far off the planet, right. Um, or we're in the work from home state now as a software company, a lot of us get to be work from home. Sure. So that, that changes the dynamic quite a bit. Again, something is a maintenance person I never thought I was going to have the opportunity to do. So I'm relishing, Um, I'm enjoying it. But again, it still doesn't stop me from having that open communication to my teammates and being, being able to ask open questions often. Sure. I try to build relationships and build a rapport with the people I get a chance to work with. So again, sometimes they'll reach out to me and they're like, Hey, uh, I got this question or something. Right. And I'll, or I will have a question. I see something, um, and I'm, I want to check in on them, see how they're doing. I'll just reach out to the person I saw that was last responsible for that account and get an update or a pass through. Got it. And that's, that's encouraged even to where my boss one time I had some idea we were talking about something and he was like, yeah, just message the chief people officer. I was like, uh, what? <laughs> like you realize, you realize I'm military, right? Like we have a chain of command. I don't just go to my commanding officer to ask a general random question, right? I have to pass that through my chief. My chief goes through an officer, or DLCPO, through department head, then on to the CEO, right? So it's cool having these open channels. So is that, that one of the biggest changes or, or differences in culture between Navy and civilian experiences you've had? between that and just the seriousness at times, right? How laid back and casual it can be. Um, Yeah. Open communication is huge. And again, you don't want a hundred sailors, random sailors, randomly thinking (laughs) of questions. Like the the CEOs often say they have open door policies, but they're still like, again, they look back at the department heads after someone comes in, they're like, can you take care of that next time? Like, what are you doing? Right. Take care of that. Right. Why, why didn't that person come to you? Exactly. Like, why did they feel like they needed to come straight to me? Yeah, I get that. So Brightly seems like a very innovative company, right? Um, so in, in your experience, do you see a correlation between 
innovation and healthy company culture? I do, especially through the hackathons, right? Okay, tell us more about that. I meant to touch on that uh, and have forgotten. So tell us more about that. It's something I had no idea about until I got involved with it, right? And as soon as it was explained to me, I was like, how do I get involved? (laughs) So So, is this like black hat hackers and and stuff like that? No, 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 not that bad. Um, Hackathon is more of a, a pitch. It's an internal pitch. Mm. So it can be used in a lot of different formats, and there's a few categories. We do it once a year, and it's okay. company-wide. Um, and what you do is you think of an idea that can either affect income, affect our clients, um, affect internal processes, tools, or solutions, whatever it may be. So getting back to a software company in general, you have different departments, right? And yes, different departments do at times stay in their lanes. Mm-hmm. You know, the chief product officer goes to these big strategy meetings and then they figure out long term three year. What do we need to have in our product to be leading the market? Mm -hmm. Right. And then that windows down to a director or a VP and that VP looks at one to two year winning moves. Then it goes down to managers or product managers and they look, okay, what are we going to do quarter by quarter for a fiscal year to build momentum and keep increasing whatever we're trying to get right or innovative solutions? Right. There's that's generally where the ideas come from. Now they'll, in our organization, the product managers biweekly put on a sprint review with solution consultants and sales and implementation. Anyone who's affected by product that works client facing, they meet with us to let us know what they're working on. We go over the roadmap. They ask for feedback. We have open conversations, right? But at times when you recommend something, it has to find and the company has to prioritize and the product managers have to prioritize and build a business case on where it should go in the roadmap, right? Because these roadmaps are already set a year at times or quarters yeah. at least are committed. So what Hackathon allows us to do is think bigger picture, big epics or additional MVPs. And as non-product owners, we get to go in and work with, develop a team, Maybe it's a designer, maybe it's a few software engineers, maybe it's someone from product to help build a business case. And like when I worked on it, it was with my now director of sales, Lindsay, who's been with the company eight years. She used to be in my role as a solution consultant. She was fantastic at it. And she understands the industry really well. And she understands our clients and what they're looking for. So what we would do is pretty much we'd collect data and find one of our biggest product gaps. And then that would be our pitch for the year. So we'd go to Hackathon and we put together a project and they used me for my manufacturing experience. And I kind of helped explain the need and where it fit in. So we went through and we, within one week, we built a very simple bare bones example of what we were trying to win, right? And trying to get product to take on and build out and make in to innovate our solution. Yeah. So we presented, um, I helped with the business case with the numbers as well as the user story of it. Um, and then I worked with some really good software engineers and designers to help kind of just make it not look too rough, right? <laughs> yes, soften the edges a little bit, but obviously it can't look like in one week, you're not going to make a finished product. Right. Not what we were working on. So that's what I presented was an addition to our product to help our customers from both feedback that we've heard. Um, and aligning with the mission and the vision of our company. Wow. Right. So I was like, hey, this is where we want to go. This is going to help us get there. So 
we won the hackathon. We won two awards for that one, which was market impact and people's choice award. Right. So like a, a total, which one did you like the most, but also which one is going to continue to take us on, on our roadmap towards our mission or vision. That's other people were suggesting tools to help internal processes, um, whether it's helping in a new engineering uh, for the technology stack for the engineering team or blah, blah, blah. Right. So if you think of it, and I think any company could benefit from that, go ask your operators and say, okay, we're going to slow down production a little bit for this week. Come up with an idea of what you think we could do to be better around here. Absolutely. Think outside the box. It can be an internal process. It can be a new software. It could be, we need a new piece of equipment, right? Yeah. Build a business case, give them some experience of doing that. And then just sit back and listen. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I I like the hackathon idea. Is that an annual event that Brightly has? It is. And is it open to the public? I mean, can I come watch hackathon? I don't know about that, to be honest. Um, Corey, so being such a tech forward company at Bryce Brightly, working in such a traditional field, I can only imagine that you come across some resistance culturally within some of your clients. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and how you manage that? How do you help them pivot their culture? Do you pass once somebody is, is just not a good fit? How do you work that? Two prong there. One is before Corey came to Brightly, that, that was me, right? I was in a manufacturing setting of somewhere who had been up and running for 40 years with a very I mean, processes would probably change over 40 years. I hope so. Right. Um, but how we approached maintenance hadn't. And again, maybe they had something at a time and the right person. It was a great fit. And then that person left. Maybe someone else came in and then kind of made it toxic, right? And, sure. Uh, was abrasive. And now people have this kind of, this idea of what I was actually trying to do. And I was trying to go about the right way. Um, trying to get a piece of software, which is a type of technology it was tough, right? And when me and you had connected, it was after I saw your LinkedIn post about speaking at FabTech coming up yeah. and I will be as well. And that's what my topic is, is creating interest. I, I coined it fabricating interest in technology, right? Uh -huh. FabTech. Um, I like it. So again, it's just trying to give people simple steps of hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So take it from someone who is looking back on dealing with my own culture and my organization, what went well, what didn't go well for me. And then I'm one of those people, I go in and I have those TED Talks with myself in the car every day. <laughs> Man, I should have said this. I should have done this. So I, I had numerous of those. So then when I started thinking about doing public speaking at a few conferences, that was a similar thing that came about was people just don't know where to start, mm -hmm. right? And they don't know how to gauge their internal culture. They don't know. They think they need to do the whole project plan and business case and then present it. Right. And then yeah. it's like, surprise. It's like, that's how you get shot down really, really quickly. Yeah. So absolutely. going back, I have a four step process for that. And again, I hope we get to connect at FabTech. Oh, we'll make it. We'll make, we'll yeah. intentionally make, make sure that that you happens. can come record. You can do a live podcast reaction to my speaking sessions. If uh, you want done um, and done, I will, I will stream Corey's uh, session. Uh, maybe not. I don't know if they'll allow me to do that, but I'll be there and, and I'll take some reactions. The speaker approved. 
Yeah. So <laughs> I have a four-step process, and again, not to give it away too much. Um, the first one is just it's observation. Just okay. sit back and watch, right? Like, don't again. When I came in, I was only there for six months. I knew I couldn't recommend anything out the gate. I needed mm -hmm. to sit back a little while, observe the culture, understand how the people there worked, who worked together, who didn't, and how certain people like to be talked to. Sure. Um, so just sit back and watch a little bit. Understand if your culture, if you're at a place that, number one, is a fit for you, because that's hard to gauge in an interview. A lot of people put lipstick on a pig. Or if you're in there and it's just not... It's not meeting, right? Or you need to pivot. Maybe what you did and you have this blueprint for how it should work at your last place isn't going to fit here. So you need to you need to pivot and find a better way or a different way. Yeah. So I have the experience of trying it firsthand, but then at Brightly, yes, I I probably talk to four to five hundred different maintenance leads every year, okay. right? People interested yeah. in a CMS. Um, whether it's coming over from an existing system or starting from scratch, coming off pen and paper, Excel, what it, you name it, we've heard it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes my job is just to sit there and listen. And at a certain point in the conversation, one of two hats come out. It's either Corey, the consultant, that needs to come out and more prescriptively recommend things, mm -hmm. or I need to educate. Got it. So in that, I, I'm authorize that right through my company culture it's encouraged is don't fit a square peg in a round hole don't push them through the sales cycle and try to pull the wool over their eyes just to get them to sign on because we're a company that needs to make money yeah we're SaaS. software as a service if you don't know is like your netflix account <laughs> if you watch all the movies on netflix you're you're not satisfied with your service you cancel and you don't pay next month right same thing with software and there's that's a, a newer market that may have some uh, some confusion around it. Working at Brightly, it is paramount that we get the right fit clients in that are not only going to utilize the software and continue to grow in it, but they're also open to giving us feedback on how we can make it better. We're not perfect. We're never going to be perfect. I don't think any software out there or any company out there is ever going to be perfect, but we want to be better. Okay. And we do that through working with our clients and making sure it's a right fit. And if it's not a right fit, sometimes, sorry, look, we're just not a right fit. Yeah. Like what you're either what you're asking for isn't something that we provide or we're going to provide, or the way you intend to use a solution, you're not going to get the outcomes that you're looking for. Got it. So how do you think that the industry as a whole needs to adapt culturally? in response to things like digital transformation, industry 4.0, et cetera. It is changing. We, we all know that. Um, there was it a few years ago is the big buzzword was the four generations in the workforce. Yep. Right. And now we're at the point where the, the boomers are leaving more and more. Mm -hmm. And then even more so gen what Z, Yep. Is coming in even stronger than ever. And some of those are coming in with college degrees who did college fully remote. So, right. Not there's anything wild. wrong with them. But again, what did they do? They weren't sitting there with pen and paper. Yeah. They were at home on a laptop playing video games. Right. And now they're in your manufacturing facility because that's where they landed. And they, they're looking at your very outdated processes. Mm. So 
I think one, there is natural apprehension in the older generations to take it on. And people in power and manufacturing, they need to think about it carefully, right? Just like when I presented it, I did a very thoughtful analysis and recommendation. Finance was like, uh, right? He, My financial director, I'm sure, had been burned from other people before saying, I need this software to do my job. <laughs> and then it didn't pan out, right? right? So he's being naturally, he also dual-headed as the IT specialist, right? So he was coming from two positions where he naturally has to play defense first. Yep. One, the IT perspective, I need to protect the company and our infrastructure and our data, yep. right? If we have anything proprietary, I got to be careful of that. And then number two is finance. We're not just going to throw money around willy-nilly, right? And when I was, when he pushed back on me initially, I took that the wrong way and all the ways people shouldn't when they give recommendations is I took it as he was attacking me. He was calling right. me stupid, right? And that was not the case at all. Lynn was doing his job. Yeah, I respect him for it. And I respected him during that after I decided to get over myself a little bit. <laughs> so digitally, it's not going anywhere. It's going right. to become even more prevalent, right? Um, six months ago, if you would have asked me to define what digital transformation is, I would have said you need to implement more digital tools into your tech stack, right? And okay. that's incorrect. Digital transformation is a lot of things, but digital transformation is the process of making data your primary commodity. Ah. So it's very hard for manufacturers to think of this in the perspective that the finite product that you post on your website and you sell is no, no longer should be your primary focus. Mm -hmm. It should be the process and the data that that gives you. Interesting. I like that a lot. Um, how, how do you think we can use that to that? you know, the digital world, you, you talked about Gen Z and, and uh, you know, their inclination to lean towards technology. How can we utilize that to get even further future generations more interested in these kinds of careers? I mean, it, is it going to be augmented reality, uh, virtual reality type uh, experiences for middle school and, and high school students? How do we do this? You're talking to the right person because I geek out, again, like the history stuff from Brightly, but also what Siemens is doing. Yeah. So Siemens is very has a strategic partnership with NVIDIA, and they're doing digital manufacturing, digital twins, um, augmented reality, virtual reality, right? All this different stuff, the generative AI now as well. I think the first thing people need to do with having this newer generation that is technical savvy is they need to allow them to start showing it off, right? Okay. You no longer need one marketing person like Emily, when she was talking about shoes and job shop, she was like, I'm the only person. And I sit right next to the president, right? And I'm in charge of our marketing. Yep. It's like, why not go out and get content from your frontline operators about like a day in the life, yeah. right? What's the, what's the number one way you can overcome what Andrew Crow's talking about the dark, dirty, dangerous perspective of manufacturing. Yep. You show them how well lit it is. You show them how little they actually have to stick their hand in moving parts. Um, you show them that they get to do some programming. They get to interface with nice HMIs. Just let people start showing it off. Stop safeguarding the concrete side of the facility, right? If there's a concrete floor, stop safeguarding it. Yeah. Right. Stop. Get out from where the carpet is and go out to where the concrete is. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, so Corey, as, as we wrap up here, 
with and without giving away your secret sauce for uh, your presentation at FabTech, what are three initiatives uh, that you can see companies implementing to improve culture? Right. Um, what What are your three three things here? In no particular order, I would say you need to reinvigorate and reimagine your mission, vision, and value statements. Absolutely. That's you the need to first, go back to the drawing board. That's the first step I take with every single one of my clients on, on the other side of the business is those three things. It, it's got to come first. Because you have to have... I've talked about this often, the worst leaders and the worst culture are the people who say one thing and do something different. Yeah. Um, so go back to the drawing board, bring in the people who have been around for a long time. People have been in for a few days. Say, okay, let's tweak our mission and vision statements and let's make sure it's clearly defined to you, right? Um, someone I watch is Walker Reynolds who does Industry 4.0, uh, industrial internet of the things. He's a huge in education, but someone who did the work, right? He's not just an academic. He's not just someone who is an engineer. He's now kind of a combination of both. And he asked people like, he talks about Tesla and Tesla has a digital transformation statement. Mm -hmm. And he said, he asked, says that Tesla will fire people, random employees when they pull them in to sample them and say, okay, recite our digital transformation statement. And if they can't do it, they'll just get canned. I, I think so. That's what he said. I don't know. Wow. I've never seen it, right. But it's three short statements, essentially. Mm -hmm. It's short and sweet. It's nothing long. It's not like a, an NCO creed or a sailor's creed, right? That, or an ethos. It's, Three statements, short and sweet, about why we do it, how we do it, X, Y, or Z, right? The who, what, why. So go back to the drawing board with your mission, vision, value statements. Engage the shop floor to get those. Stop just sitting in your ivory tower thinking these fancy words mean so much, right? Correlate it to the people on the floor because those people live in your local communities. They're the ones who are going to go spread the word and yep. draw more interest in your facility, right? Absolutely. So start in your little corner of the world, make it relatable. Number two, I would say create ownership. Mm. So through true empowerment, through ownership, right? The great book from Jocko Willink. Yep. Um, extreme ownership. Extreme ownership. I, that's something that naturally developed in me when I was in the military to a fault, right? It was, I, I took it a little too far, right? Now is a little bit a little bit older and I say that it's relative, <laughs> but a little bit older, a little bit wiser. I got a few gray hairs. All right. It's not too far off, but there's a, there's a fine line between like obsession and extreme ownership. Mm -hmm. So I had taken it to the point of obsession. I had to walk that back now to extreme ownership, but the fantastic part, and I took this and I, I put it to test is I have certain as the leader of my unit of 125 people at my reserve center, I have certain, items I'm responsible for making sure are accomplished or my team accomplishes every single drill weekend we do. Mm -hmm. So what I did was instead of me doing that for 125 people, I kind of fragmented up, right? We have natural collateral duties that can be assigned out. I have section leaders underneath myself as well. Um, so trying to break it into bite-sized chunks. Yeah. But one thing is I sat down with a sailor who's very 
always come around asking, hey, what can I do to help? Right. I love those people. I love the initiative. I'm not someone who runs around with initiative like that, but I I test out people who do to make sure who's like full of it and who's just asking for things to put on a piece of paper and tout versus who's actually going to do the work. This gentleman does the work. He said, Jim, when I want to do this thing, I said, okay. So what I did was I sat down and I explained to him what the task was and very simply what the end result needs to be. Sure. I said, here's where you start. Here's what I need. I need a watch bill done two weeks prior to every single drill weekend with X number of people. And I need those people to own up that they're doing it and to stand the watch. How you do it, I don't care. Get it done. Yeah. Let his imagination run wild, right? Sailors are the same as electricity. Path of least resistance. <laughs> They're going to find the simplest, easy way to get the task done. Okay. So I had to start not only delegating, but creating a sense of ownership amongst my sailors, ones who I know can carry out the task. But also a, a sense of empowerment, right? Um, because so once you, you give the... Not yeah. like you, you wear this hat, but really I'm going to take all the credit for it. Or it's kind of like a like a puppet on the strings type of thing. It's not that. I'm saying this is yours. Yeah. I will fall on the sword if anything goes wrong, right? That's the responsibility of me as a leader. That will never get passed down to them. Yeah. Um, but you have full autonomy to do this how you see fit. And there's some awesome. oversight there, but it's more for, I guess, a little bit of consultation. Like, hey, I've tried this before this way. This is why it didn't work. Mm-hmm. You may have the same issue, maybe not do it that way. Right. But never telling someone. It's very similar to the culture of being a father. Yeah. Right. Let the kids play. I, I forget what Jordan Peterson said. What do you say? Let them play dangerously, cautiously, or something like that. Right. Like be around. Don't let them like stand on a second story roof. Right. Potentially falling off of that. Right. But. You don't have to intervene at every little danger that they may face. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my favorite question when I was leading teams and and somebody would come to me and say, how do I do this? My, I would always ask, well, how do you think it should be done? Right. And I, give them that opportunity. And then sure, like you said, I could give a little bit of feedback on personal experiences. Hey, I've tried something similar to that, or I've tried that specifically. Here was the result I got. You might get different results, but really giving them the opportunity to think and, and really forcing that that thought process was something that that usually was very successful. Absolutely. And that's a that's the third one I have, right? So first one is reimagine and go back to the drawing board on your mission, vision, and value statements. Number two is create the ownership, true empowerment. And number three is to communicate openly and empathetically. Mm. Eddie Saunders says that, and I love it when he talks about it and goes in depth on empathy. Um, care for one another. Yeah. Listen to their ideas and collaborate, but also listen more than you talk. Ask Absolutely. questions. Yeah. Stop thinking you have to be the one who knows all the answers. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're the president of the organization, you've been there for 40 years. Things have changed at the shop floor since you last stood there operating the machine. Yeah. Let people figure it out themselves. Give them that empowerment. Yep. Absolutely. I love it. I love it, man. Um, so what kind of final thoughts do you have for the listeners uh, of the podcast before we wrap up here? Everything's simple. It comes back to humans. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Right? We're all... 
me and Jim right now are interacting through digital technology on this rock that's floating through orbiting another rock and a <laughs> galaxy, right? Probably the size of sand on a beach. Right. Absolutely. Stop thinking that our problems are so huge and so overwhelming, even in manufacturing. Yeah. Right? Just treat people how you want to be treated. Go home. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your life outside of work. Um, make it tolerable. Too many times people try to overcomplicate this stuff and make their work life so intolerable and so sufferable yeah. and it, it bleeds into others. And that's where you get toxic cultures. If you really want to change your culture and you really want it to be, you know, fun and engaging, right? You had the, I can't remember his name. I tried to look him back just a few minutes ago to find it. The one talking about in an interview, they ask, what's your favorite comedy movie, right? Like <laughs> yeah. have fun with it and get to know people outside of work and like have some fun with it. Cause now if I know your favorite comedy movie is that when I walk by you, I can drop a quick quote and I'm yeah. not someone who remembers quotes, but I'm going to go back and watch that movie <laughs> just to find the funniest part to quote you. So me and you have that connection in that relationship. Yeah. That was so, our friends up in uh, British Columbia. Uh, huh? What a goofball. Um, but it, it was a but fun. It's great because yeah. What did he do in that? In the podcast, the interview he was talking about, they had a plant manager who's like, that's a stupid question like irrelevant or something like that. And it's like, okay, well, you're not a fit here. I don't care how qualified you are, right? Yeah. How absolutely. many facilities would hire that person based on a piece of paper? True or not, come in. And next thing you know, four years later, they've totally destroyed everything. They're out the door thinking they did well. I always look at leadership as a long-term play, right? Yeah. The results you're getting today were set in stone a year, two years ago. Yeah. So a plant manager reaping results and making himself look good after a year or two of being in the position, either they did a lot of little things right, or they're just coasting on past momentum. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, Corey, thank you very much for being on today. Really appreciate your time. It was a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Jim. Uh, I hope someone here takes something from this. And if you think I misquoted or said something or need to add something maybe i need to add something to my presentation for fabtech please feel free to reach out oh i'm i'm excited to connect with you at fabtech uh we we if we had met sooner we almost could have just done a joint presentation uh because mine's on uh employee retention strategies in manufacturers yours is uh a, a little bit different but somewhat similar we could have just joined forces and had one really massive uh engaging presentation but we'll we'll have people come to both um absolutely we'll direct them to each way exactly so <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen this was an absolutely enlightening dive into the world of manufacturing culture and really human-centered leadership with Corey Dickens. From his journey at Brightly to understand the cultural landscape and how it was shaped by his Navy experiences, this episode has navigated a vast ocean of values and innovation. It's evident that culture is not just a buzzword to Corey. It's a beating heart of his successful career. And really it's a beating heart of every successful man manufacturing company. For more deep dives and candid conversations, just like this one, don't forget to visit our website at manufacturingculturepodcast.com. You'll find a plethora of episodes, resources, blogs, reviews, et cetera, and, and so much more. If you've enjoyed today's episode, do us a favor. Do me a favor. 
share it with your friends, your colleagues, and anyone who's passionate about culture, manufacturing, and their intersection. While you're at it, head over to whatever platform that you listen to the podcast on, and please, please, please leave us a review. Rate the show. Your feedback helps us bring even more engaging guests and content to you, and it rockets us up the the podcast charts so that people find us. Uh, that's the biggest uh, issue that that I've found is people still aren't finding us. So rate and review so people can find us. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great day and keep making things. Mm-hmm.